Gratitude That's my everyday What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Quantum Coffee. You guys are in for a real treat. I had a good friend, Micah Baylor, come on for this episode. And yeah, really, really fascinating conversation. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Uh, Micah is really into the blockchain crypto space. And if it's something, I mean, it's really cool time to be alive because all of this new technology is really becoming coming more into the mainstream. I think it's become coming way more into all of our awarenesses. I've been really diving into blockchain uh, since the beginning of COVID, so about 18 months, and I've learned a lot about it. And I'm really, really excited about what this this technology actually means for us as a humanity, as a society, the future of the human race. And Micah's sole mission in this life, at least currently, is to really uh, accelerate the mass adoption of these technologies. In this episode, we talk about kind of the base foundation of what blockchain is, what NFTs are, cryptocurrency, and then we get really uh, far down the rabbit hole in what this really means for us, uh, the future of uh, our society, our culture, the human race, um, the metaverse, uh, NFTs, blockchain, um, all of these things, and some of the spiritual concepts and what this really means to evolve into this time of abundance and what it means for us to go on this internal journey. Micah is a really wise man. Um, really grateful to be on this journey with him. And I'm really excited about sharing his wisdom and knowledge for all of you. I do want to share before we start that we are starting a new internal community around Quantum Coffee podcast. Really excited to bring in those that want to feel part of the podcast, connect with the guests and connect with some premium content, connect with me. We got a, a community building app called Circle. There is a link in the show notes. If you want to join, it's $7 a month and you'll get access to extended episodes this extended episode, Micah drops his three-bag thesis and actually how to deploy your capital, how to get a MetaMask, how to get into blockchain, and how to make the most of your money. And he has this little flywheel thing that you can literally borrow against the money that you invest, take that money to reinvest into some of these um, different altcoins. I'll let him explain it. If you want to know really how to make the most of your crypto journey and the money in this space currently, make sure you go check out the inner community of Quantum Coffee. Micah drops some serious wisdom in there. You're going to want to get your notepads out. Uh, if you don't feel called to be a part of the inner circle community around this podcast and you feel, still feel called to support it, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review, say a few nice words about me, about the podcast, about Micah. And Micah and me talk about some really in-depth concepts. Um, and if anything in this podcast you think might resonate with somebody else that you know, maybe getting them introduced into this blockchain technology space, Go ahead and share this podcast with them. Let them know about it uh, and reach out to Micah. All of his stuff will be in the show notes. He is an amazing man and he is really here to support all of us in really understanding what the future holds with all this technology. I uh, really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I did. I'm probably going to go re-listen to it just because my mind was blown multiple times. Get ready for yours to be blown as well. Hope you guys enjoy this episode with my good friend, Micah Baylor. Micah Baylor, what's up, brother? This love, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> you know, I say that all the time when I meet someone. I'm like, hey, let's drop in. Uh, and I just want to talk about love, life, and the pursuit of happiness. And it makes so much sense. <laughs> that's what it's all about, right? That's what we're here for, brother. That's what, what a time to be alive. And I'm really excited for all the listeners. I'm sorry if you can hear Freedom in the background. Hopefully she's not too 
bothersome, but you guys are in for a real treat. I know there's a lot of talk around this DeFi, crypto, blockchain space, and it's becoming, it's a really exciting time actually to really see these new technologies emerging and really becoming a part of the mainstream. And if you guys have no idea uh, what I'm talking about, or you have very little idea, you guys are in for a real treat because I got one of the most uh, knowledgeable, wise, amazing crypto, blockchain, DeFi guys really focused, like his whole mission is to really uh, bring mass adoption to this space, which I, tr- I totally see it happening. And until you can really educate yourself and really learn uh, the ins and outs of how the space is and really ground yourself into it, it's really hard to wrap your head around. But once you do, you can really see the positive impact and the radical shift that this kind of technology is really going to have in the entire world, your lives, our daily lives. Uh, so Micah, tell me a little bit about your journey into this blockchain uh, crypto space, and then we'll kind of let it go from there. Cool. cool. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's funny to hear like when people first encountered the crypto, um, like what was your, your first buy, you know? Um, I am class of 2017 and that says a lot, right? Cause I was like the I love first see those classes, right? <laughs> the class of 2017, <laughs> that's when I got in. In the crypto space, like I was just at, uh, NYC NFT, um, which we'll talk about, I'm sure here in a little bit. But it's funny how many people I met who were a class of 2021. And then they meet me from class of 2017. And they're like, dude, you're an OG. And I'm like, whoa. You're an elder. <laughs> That's how <laughs> like, fast the space is moving though, right? It's crazy. I, I, it's true. I'm basically like 40 years old in the crypto <laughs> space. But it is what it is. So yeah, 2017, this, this initial hype cycle, uh, it runs. I, I buy a few tokens. And if you are a class of 2017, it is historic because everyone got in and then it crashed pretty much immediately at the beginning um, you know, of, of the following year. And then we went through like two years of just like bear market and bear market and loads of people just like fell out of crypto. But what had happened is I had really fallen in love with this idea of like open source banking. And just bringing, um, you know, transparency to to money, which is really like a technology that we all need access to, um, and you know, we don't realize like so much in the in the, uh, the developed world just how blessed we are to have like easy access to financial infrastructure, um, and even still, like it can be better for us. It's kind of funny how like if you look at it in places where they don't have access to good financial infrastructure, they've already adopted these currencies and these, you know, these new protocols. And then over here in the West, we're like, I don't know if that will catch on, you know, maybe, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Yeah, it's fascinating because yeah. the, the majority of the world really, not the majority, but there's a, there's a vast population that doesn't have access to it, just a simple banking system. Like they can't actually do transactions. And I think, even, you know, to, to understand how the banking system works, I think, first of all, there's not a lot, I mean, there's a, there's a really misplaced amount of education in the financial space period, but then to understand like what blockchain is actually solving is this peer to peer, um, transactions where we no longer need the intermediary banking system to do transactions. Like I remember, I'll tell a little story. I remember when I got drafted in 2010, to play for the Falcons. I got, I mean, I had, I was a college athlete. I had like the most I ever had in my bank account was like a thousand dollars. And I played in at UNLV in Las Vegas. 
And so when I first got my, my signing bonus, my rookie year, it was like for $470,000. And so after taxes, that was about 300K. And so I woke up one day and I had $300,000 in my bank account. I was like, oh yeah, let's go. I'm going to go to Vegas and take my boys out. And so I was so excited. I went there and lost my first few hundred dollars at the tables. And I was like, no worries. I'm going to go to the ATM, put my card in. And I take, try to take like a thousand dollars out. And it says in transaction decline. And I'm like, what the heck? So I called the bank and my max I could take out because my limit was on there was only $300. So I only had access to $300 of my now $300,000. And I couldn't access it because it was Saturday and I had to go to a bank on Monday. So that's a simple story of that no longer with blockchain is really an issue, right? Like they don't actually control my money. I control my money and taking my sovereignty and individual power back. So talk a little bit about you know, the, the, the blockchain for maybe some people that don't fully understand the importance and the impact that this infrastructure really has, especially with the, the fragility of uh, our financial systems currently as well, globally. Oof, this is like the can of worms that you've, you've decided to open. So let's get into it, man. I, I like it. Um, let's, let's like briefly just talk about like what money is. I feel like um, a lot of us grow up with like trauma around money and then we're like afraid to engage with it. And it's just because like our parents were bad with money or they had student loans or a mortgage they struggled with or something. And it's like, let's just talk about what it is for a second. Um, I, I look at money like really simply. I just think it's just a technology and we should just choose the technology that works the best. Um, if you look back over time though, like the history of money, it was the first technology that really impacted the human race that was outside of the physical. Um, like before that, technologies were like a new way to like chip rocks, to stab creatures, to roast on fires. You the know? wheel, right? Like being able to roll something down the ground. Like you don't have to carry it any longer. You can have a, a trailer with wheels on it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you look at like the invention of like the wheel. Um, technology, I, I think of the invention of bread fondly. Mm -hmm. Like the invention of bread revolutionized the human race. It, it, it allowed us to get all the nutrients we needed from water, flour, and salt. Like Game we changer. can feed a village. Why you have 8 billion people on the planet because of bread. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bread. Thank you, bread. And money, I think of is pretty much like bread. Like that's pretty much how I think of it. It's just another technology, but it was the first technology that was done outside of the physical. And what right? do you mean you by outside of the physical? Because I think this is a really important point that energy, I mean, money isn't actually a physical object. Yes, we have paper money, but now it's even more obvious that it's just numbers on a screen. So talk about the idea of, you know, money as this psychic kind of belief structure rather than actual physical invention. Yeah, I mean, money is just what you called it. it was a, a psychic belief structure. Yeah. <laughs> that's those are good words, Mr. Alley. <laughs> good words. I mean, that's all that it is, right? Like if you look back, like OG money was um a technology where we had chalk and we like put on cave walls who owned which pieces of property and which cattle they owned, right? As is, is pretty much that. Like it was just a tracking mechanism. Yeah, even using like little rocks or something that's like unique and, and, and you can tell that it is the thing that you're using and you can multiply them. Like that's, you can use really anything as money. 
anything. Yeah. I mean, you look back in the, like the Dutch culture, you know, it's tulips for a hot second. Mm-hmm. And there's been all these funny things and, and we've kind of settled on gold for like a long period of time as what we can base money on, but it's, it, it's kind of meme-ish in a way. Like it's, it's definitely a meme. Like why is gold valuable? Because you know, kings raged war over it for so long. It's not like it feeds anybody. It's not like it's it's we useful like shiny to have things, around. We like shiny <laughs> things. It's shiny and it looks really important. <laughs> well, there all is always going to be social signaling, right? Like humans, like like all creatures, we like to you know strut our feathers. Um, it's a thing that happens. Maybe it's a mating call. I don't know, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> we need we need gold. Um, so yeah, gold is this funny thing that you know we started to base value on, and we we started to create this new form of technology. Because a lot of people don't realize, I think, the difference between like money and currency, right? Um, what starts to happen, um, you know, like as you know, like the industrial revolution comes along, you start to have governments uh, start to issue currencies, right? And uh, really, I guess first it was like banks, you know, they would say, hey, there's so much uh, gold in the bank and these paper dollars represent so much gold in the bank. And then they would issue out these currencies and these currencies float around and it's just much more, uh, you know, convenient to pass paper around that equals gold than it is to carry rocks around. Mm -hmm. Um, So you start to have currencies that are issued. So things that reflect value and are easier to move around starts to really create like a new level of economics Um, because economics are really cool when money can flow easily because if you have a hot dog stand, like you have the guy who, you know, has the bread and he buys bread from him. And then that guy has like the delivery guy and he pays the delivery guy and, you know, money can circulate through an economy. Um, it's called the velocity of money. It's just how quickly does a dollar, you know, how many times does a dollar go through the economy before it comes back to the person who initially had the dollar? Mm. Um, and it is something I look at with inflation and all the inflation we have going on because it's true that there's a lot more dollars in the economy, but there's a lot fewer transactions happening as well. So the inflation is not really realized because like it's not flushed through, you know, Mm -hmm. before COVID, for example, the velocity of money was like at a factor of say seven. And now it's at a factor of like three or four. Um, Interesting. So, so the, even the inflation numbers, it's not really fully realizing the amount of money that is in the system because the transactions aren't happening as much or as often. So do we get to a point of when that kind of consumer goes up and it just kind of catch up, catches up with us or what's your thoughts on that? It could happen. Yeah. Like it could happen. Um, you know, if we all start going back outside and making more transactions, it could flush it through the system. I will say though, that long-term, um, you know, maybe short-term we do have a massive like inflationary event long-term though, my honest fear is that we have a deflationatory event. Because if you line up 100 CEOs in America and you ask them if they are looking at automating tasks, like all of them have to say yes. Because during COVID, it's it's a supply chain shock we have right now, right? 
like during COVID, no one could work, um, or at least it was more difficult to produce things. And now we have a problem in the supply chain. And because of that, we, we see some inflation because there's fewer goods that were produced. So now all of these CEOs are required to automate as many tasks as possible. This was already happening. Everyone was already automating things. This accelerated it. Wow. Yeah. I, I haven't heard that before. That's very interesting. So now, yeah. Well, the cost of creating things goes down. Yeah. Yeah. And so once those automations start getting back online, then what happens after that? Well, if, if the cost of uh, making something goes to the cost of electricity, then what you have is everything becomes very affordable. Um, very affordable. And when fewer dollars are moving through the economy with each purchase, because fewer humans were involved in their creation, then you actually experience a massive deflationatory event. So we need to create new ways for value to pass through the economy. Mm. And I think that NFTs are a obvious front runner for how we will move money through the economy um, in the future. It just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, we'll dive more into the NFT stuff, I'm sure. I have a few questions. This is very fascinating because there's even a bigger philosophical question of like, and I've been just contemplating this, like how fast everything is shifting and just the exponential growth of technology and just the perspective you said about money and how it works. Like that was pretty profound for me. Thank you for sharing that. And then it kind of ties into this wider question that I've been kind of contemplating is when when AI comes, it's not going to be like, oh, AI is going to disrupt this sector or disrupt this sector and we're going to start losing jobs. Like when AI, full AI actually comes online and we start automating all these tasks, like it's going to automate everything. It's like, it's un- incomprehensible. It's like everything in your life that you don't like doing or that's just a mundane task will all be done for you down to the very, you know, the very need to even have like, a, you can have your own personal AI coach t- that telling you exactly what you need in every moment. So the question becomes what, what left is there for there a human to do? And in my perspective, it's, it takes away everything that is keeping you away from really fully realizing and connecting with the thing that is greater than the self. If you want to call it God or the universe, but like pure presence of what it means to be human, we no longer have to do, we can just be. And I think that's a really scary place for people to be. Cause it, it, I don't think a lot of people have ever experienced that level of presence, but it's almost like it's going to be forced upon us through all this technological advancement. Yeah, no, 100%. We need to start shouting this message from rooftops so that we can end up okay, you know? Like already, I think that in the US, we live in virtual reality and folks don't realize it. Like um, back in, say, like the French Revolution, when they would behead someone in the street, it was an obvious, obvious thing that there was a problem with the government, and you know, then you look back. And like yeah. people cheering it on, though, because it's like it's like the part of it's the psychology of the whole thing. It's fascinating. Fascinating, dude. And then you look uh, at previous administrations, and we had a president who could behead someone in the street virtually. Right? He just tweets once, boom, dead. Done. Guillotine. Like he was ending careers with tweets. And we don't realize we already live in virtual reality because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, on the topic of, of AI, it's, it's like you look at, say, like Jarvis from uh, Iron Man. And the only thing that is wrong about that movie, the only thing that they got wrong about how powerful Jarvis is, is that if he existed in one place, 
you would exist for everybody because digital things <laughs> are digitized, right? Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy, paste. And that's what everyone's going to have when we realize AI. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be. Yeah. Since we're on the topic of philosophical questions, I know we're getting off topic of trying to teach the lay person about <laughs> blockchain here. <laughs> we're kind of really diving in. So maybe this went to like level 400 classes pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but let's talk about the metaverse because, you know, I think it's really, you know, becoming more aware because of Zuckerberg renaming Facebook or putting a parent company, however he did it and calling it meta. And this metaverse is becoming, it's exploding this idea of metaverse and it's, it's a, it's something that you really have to think about similar to the thing about AI that I've been contemplating, right? Like AI just takes over everything. This metaverse is literally, it's like access to infinity. Like there's infinite things you can create in this metaverse. So, so maybe share a little bit, like what is the metaverse exactly? And how do we 3d physical beings interact with the metaverse? And is there ever come a point when we actually just like merge with it and plug into it? And that's kind of the game theory of we're just infinite layers deep into a video game. But that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. What's the metaverse? Ready player one. Um, mm. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's not going to be like that. It's not Black Mirror. It's not ready player one. Um, here's, here's what I think is happening, right? Um, if, if you look back, you know, like you have the agricultural revolution in the history of humanity. The problem we had to solve was feeding everybody. We learned how to feed everybody. We fed everybody. And then you get to like the industrial revolution. The problem we have is not everyone has all the things they need, right? So we learned how to like manufacture clothing and get things done and build steam engines. And everyone has all the things they need to the point now that we are drowning in stuff. Like we're drowning in stuff. We're killing our planet. Like it's just... Just consumerism, right? (laughs) We consume too much. And the more we can produce, the more we need to consume. And so it's this cycle that is leading us towards the edge. Right, right. And and if you look at like the first, you know, thing as humans, like we became children and now we've become teenagers. And now we're moving into this adjacent possible of being adults. And like as humans, like we're going through a lot of hormonal like changes. I love that analogy so much. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we're just like shaking with it, you know. But soon we're gonna be full-grown adults, guys. And and what, what's happening is during this process of becoming adults, we've created these new technologies. And in these technologies, really what they are is they're just the new awakening. You know, it's agriculture and then it was industrial stuff. And I think now we're entering into the abundance, like literally the age of abundance is what's happening. And we need to claim it. It's, it's more of a spiritual awakening. I think more people will become aware. Um, and we just need to make sure that the technologies that are coming into the space uh, just have good vibes on them mm-hmm. like that's that's our yeah, job because the, the person that creates the algorithm or the technology inherently it's going to have the energetic signature of that person's kind of consciousness right and if they're kind of that a little bit uh, narcissistic or egotistical then that very well could be built into the fabric of this new metaverse reality right Right. So that's our only job is to put good vibes on the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And what you have is the metaverse is just the next tech stack. Like if you look back at like the OG tech stack, 
you always have three elements in your tech, well, tech deck, I guess is really what I should say. Um, in your tech deck, what you always have is like a, a data layer, a thing that holds all of the stuff that the computer runs. Um, you know, it was like originally tower computers and then databases and then cloud computing, right? And then you look back, there's always a logic layer, something that makes sense of the things that are inside of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, be a motherboard or like uh, most, most of computing happens today on your phone. So apps, you know, apps are a logic script that is looking at data and then put, pushing things onto the interface, which is the last part of the tech deck, um, pushing things onto the interface, you know, your, your mobile phone, but it used to be your desktop. Yeah, like the actual right. screen, the thing that you actually interact with when the right. Yeah. Yeah. So you always have data logic and interface. Those mm. three parts are always present in like, you know, what we're doing with computers. And right now people are like watching blockchain or talking about AI or talking about VR. And they're like, oh, which one's happening? Or, oh, I'm into this one, but not that one. And guys, it's just the new tech stack. It's just the new tech stack, you know? Oh, interesting. Like, we're going to adopt blockchain at the same rate we're going to adopt AI, at the same rate we're going to adopt VR, AR, and the Internet of Things. And then it's Ready Player One. I mean, as far as maybe not the narrative, but the plugging in with a haptic suit where you can actually interface with the metaverse. Yeah, yeah. The metaverse is just that. The metaverse is a virtually persistent reality. Mm. Virtually persistent reality. It is a virtual reality that is always there. Um, you can access it with VR. It runs on blockchain. And right now, like the, the, the basic metaverse is like these 3D websites that you can go to, if you will, like Decentraland or CryptoVoxels. Uh, being my two favorite, CryptoVoxels being my favorite. Uh, like CryptoVoxels is a website where you can go CryptoVoxels, not have any login, nothing done. You just hit the play button and you're immediately an avatar that can walk around a world that is ran by NFTs. Every piece of property is owned by somebody Every wall, every structure was created by somebody. And you can purchase goods from these places, be it just digital art. Um, there's some of the people we brought in, like you can buy things and then exchange them for things in the real world. Mm. Um, like you can go buy a skateboard NFT from DGK, and then you can swap that for a skateboard in life. <laughs> Man, it's such a trip. I, I want to circle back because when you said, you know, we want to just make sure that the metaverse is being created with good vibes. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg is a good vibe and should be in charge of creating? Or is it one of those things that the metaverse is infinite so we can just choose not to interact with his metaverse? Right. Um, you know, I, I think it, it's uh, Mark is doing good things, I think, in VR. Um, Mark is the last founder of the thing, right? Of like Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Google. He is the last CEO left that is still the founding CEO. Mm. And I think because of this, he still acts like a founding CEO. You know, if, if you come in and you're a secondary CEO, um, like you kind of answer to the board. 100%. If, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, if you're a founder, you're like, he's still man, the father. I started he's like, this he's like, this is my baby. Yeah. 
Yeah. So he's going to take big risks. And honestly, like the Facebook brand, it just gets kicked really hard. It is kind of dying, right? Like it's such a huge, massive thing, but it is, I think it's a good business move. And I mean, if you really look at it from a wide lens view of the space, I mean, everybody knows what Facebook is. So for him to change it to meta, like that's only going to accelerate this whole movement pretty rapidly, I would say. Right. So my only fear is that people believe that the metaverse is Facebook Mm. and they don't investigate it enough to find out that it's like an entire other thing. Because honestly, the people in the metaverse were kind of like, he's not doing metaverse stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I I define metaverse as these like crypto voxels, a place where there's a map, there's brands and blocks with businesses on them. I mean, it, it is literally like a virtual society where we throw parties that thousands of people show up to, to uh, Bieber is doing a uh, Bieber is doing a full concert in the metaverse. Right. I I didn't know this, but I I might have to go to it. I know. Just to see the production quality. Millions of people could show up to this concert and he performs. I think he's wearing like a haptic suit thing. And so it's actually going to be his body moving as his avatar and you can go watch it. Like how dope. That's sick. That's sick. I mean, another, like this is, it's trips me out. Right. Cause you think, I think, we talked about it's like the the idea that consciousness is just this infinite layer, layer deep into its own metaverse, right? It's like, so, you know, as conscious beings, and I've explored these different dimensional realities with different types of plant medicines and psychedelics, and sometimes can have really incredible visuals with some meditations, but it's like consciousness is kind of creating itself as far as like understanding what infinite infinity is, right? Like we are there's infinite number of universes. Infinity is really hard to even comprehend. But when we start looking at the metaverse, it's like we are creating the thing that we are in. And it's almost like consciousness is creating this physical manifestation of the thing that we're even interacting with. And eventually kind of seeing it play out is like, do we just, you know, through Neuralink plug into that thing and become living beings within the metaverse? And is that something that we get trapped in? Like, is it a choice of like going into that? Or is that just the next level of consciousness that merges with technology and then it kind of repeats itself? I think um, one thing to remember is that as the metaverse is being born, the new interface we're going to be using is VR and AR. Okay. So one thing is that there's, there's new technology um, that uh, allows for us to really enhance AR. Um, part of this is like happening with like 5G. It'll really get busy with, I think, 6G, which I think we get in like 2025, 2026. Um, but what, what you're going to be having in the future is a world that isn't ran by HTTP. You know, like if you go to like a website, it's HTTP. Mm-hmm. Um, HTTP is a protocol that's like hypertext transfer protocol. It's just, and, and so that everyone knows, like a protocol is just a thing that's like everyone uses that one so that we can all run on the same thing, right? Like, so yeah, technically um, there could be a different one, but since everybody's using that one, you wouldn't actually get any interaction with it. So everybody just uses the same one because it was the first one. It's that, uh, right. What's you can called? imagine having a different internet. Yeah. Like there's just like several different internets and they're not compatible. And you have to like VPN to like that place to go to that internet. It's yeah. silly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so HTTP is the, the common protocol for the internet. Um, 
And the, the guys who are the custodians of the HTTP protocol are called the IEEE. There's like these guys on Earth, they're the IEEE. And what they do is they hold all of the Earth's like global public goods of like technology uh, repositories. You know, they're the custodians of the Earth's public goods. Public goods is another conversation that's really funny and interesting, especially in the digital world. Like what rights do we have? Um, is this, you know, this the concept of like a very few own the actual internet? Yeah, right now, very few people own the internet. It's ran wow. on, you know, servers that people own and profit from, okay. right? That's like part of like the blockchain move it is just decentralizing everything. Um, we'll, we'll get to these things. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm answering like this thing about VR and AR, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about like the metaverse and, oh no, we're going to get stuck in this thing all the time. It's going to be miserable. It, it's not like that. Because we're also going to have AI and AR is going to be an option. And this new technology, HSTP, it will replace HTTP. Um, HSTP is Hyperspatial Transactional Protocol. And spatial is the important word. Uh, The IEEE has already named this technology as the one. Like the guys who run the, (laughs) who are the custodians for the internet technology, they're like, this is the one we're going to use this. Um, they already use it in Europe to like manage the drones because what it does is it gives every cubicle inch of space a uniquely identifiable address. Wow. And since it has a uniquely identifiable address, they can like know that there's like a, a highway for the drones to run down. And if one of the drones gets flown out of there, they know it's trying to like run into a building to blow something up and they can actually take control of it with spatial computing and then just land the drone. That's why you don't have like drone terrorist attacks all the time, you know? Um, So spatial computing means that I could go into the metaverse in VR, I could play a game, I could, you know, win a sword in this game if it's like Fortnite. Um, And then I could take that sword out of the game and hang it on my wall, and you would be able to see it through your iPhone, your Apple glasses, or your Google glasses, because there's a, a common spatial protocol for knowing where things are, you know? Wow. Yeah. I just want to, like, let's all just, everybody listening to this, let's all just take a collective moment together and allow our minds to be blown. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Micah, thank you for taking me through. Like that's, that's, that's what's happening. And it's whether you like it or not, like that is the thing. So I have a couple of follow-up questions. One is how far into the future, I know it's like very, it's like the technology is there right now. So how far into the future does this actually happen? I guess there's a collective adoption thing. That's the next step because very much all this technology already exists, right? Yeah. These things pretty much exist. You know, it's a matter now of getting, I guess, businesses and culture on them, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, yeah. you that's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> oh, man. And that's, what's so cool about NFTs is like, they are the culture of the internet now yeah. and people so want NFT. to own a part of that. Let's talk about NFTs. So let's back it up for people that have heard all about this NFT game. What are NFTs? And then we'll kind of get into the many nuances and interactions and smart contracts and all that stuff. But what base, base, basic foundation, what are NFTs? So NFTs are non 
fungible tokens. And I really hope that we find a new word for this NFT thing because it's a very technical thing. Mm. Like we don't sit around and call websites HTTPs, you know, like we just call them websites. Yeah, interesting. What would you want to call it if you had just- they're just tokens, man. It's okay. like, oh, I got the token. Or I think we'll start referring to the art inside of them. Like, like for example, a common use case for NFTs, I'll get into some of like what it is, uh, but a common use case is digital art. So we won't say, oh, I have the NFT of CryptoPunk 1782. I'll just be like, dude, I got CryptoPunk 1782. And you'll be like, oh, oh, oh. man. Yeah, You'll just know. Here it is. Put on your AR. Here it is. And then you can like string it up and they can just look at it through their phone mm-hmm. in the AR. Yeah. Hologram. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's what it is. Just like you don't say, oh, um, I bought the Picasso oil painting. You just say, oh, yeah, I got a Picasso. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm just saying. Just saying. So it's a technical thing that we're learning what it is. Um, non fungible token. So let's first define what is fungible. Fungible is something that is equally transferable in value. So if Joe and I sat here on the call and I had a stack of Canadian dollars and he had a stack of US dollars and then our our friend over here had a stack of pesos and we were playing poker, like we could pretty much figure out like who should put what in the middle of the table because pesos are always worth X and Dollars are always worth X and Canadian dollars are always worth X. Granted, like they might fluctuate a little bit. For the mm. most part, like you can, there's, you know, it's, it's easy to create liquidity and uh, fluid movement between these currencies. Um, and then every other transaction is a non-fungible transaction. If you go to the store and you trade dollars for bubble gum, like bubble gum isn't always the same you know, there's different ones. So bubble gum is non-fungible. They're not of all equal value. And you're trading fungible currency for non-fungible things. Hmm. And then with blockchain technologies, there's just this new technology that allows us to create scarcity in the digital space. Um, one of like the original sins of the internet, like original sin of the internet is there wasn't really a trust fabric built into the internet. There wasn't like like a grid for tracking, you know, who did what from where. Um, Things could be recreated and duplicated and kind of stolen really easily. Um, You know, like if you go back and you look at like Microsoft, like Microsoft tried to build their own internet. Um, and developers were getting wrecked because they would build apps in these ecosystems. And then once they were successful, thriving businesses, Microsoft would just copy paste it and make it a service of Microsoft and kill the small business on the Microsoft internet. Mm, So danger of the corrupt centralized power. Right. <laughs> and, that's, and that's why the internet's the way it is. Like as messy as the internet is right now, at least like it's an open protocol and we can say, hey, we have rights to this and we can patent things, right? Like that's nice. Um, the internet still has the problem though, that if like if I send Joe a PDF, it exists on his computer and my computer and he can email it to his thousand people and tweet it to his hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And it exists now in all of these places. Mm. Um, what blockchain technology really is, is it is just now the internet, but we've discovered how to place a trust fabric over it. It mm. just adds a trust layer to the internet. And with this trust layer, we're able to track who did what, where. And we're also able to now email people things without it staying on my computer. So now if I send you an NFT, that file is transferred to only you. Whereas as before, if I emailed you a PDF, I still have it and now you have it. Mm -hmm. NFTs are just a way to track files. And I can know that it exists in only one place or only 10 places, however many I choose. Mm -hmm. Um, Is this the same as a smart contract? Are they interchangeable or is a smart contract slightly different? So a smart contract is what deploys any token to the blockchain. Okay. So that's the interaction with the blockchain is the contract, but the NFT is the thing that's interacting with the smart contract is the actual exchange. Well, the the smart contract is like, so if I'm going to mint, you know, a a collection of a hundred NFTs that are all going to be like, I don't know, unique Joe Hollies. Okay. I'm going to have like some that have like yellow beards and hats and no hats. I'm going to write a smart contract. I'm going to put my hundred photos of Joe in it. I'm going to say, hey, I want these tokens to be called Joe Holly tokens. And then I'm going to push the smart contract out on the Ethereum blockchain. And then those tokens will be released from the block, from the smart contract for people to start trading and moving around. And they'll reflect in their wallet. Uh, whatever I told the smart contract to do, you know, hey, I want these to show up not as like, you know, like the, the token ticker, you know, like the USD. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like the token ticker is going to be, you know, Jay Holly or whatever it is. Like all of that information, how many should exist? What should the token be called? Um, is there a transaction fee that sends money back to the original creator mm-hmm. with every transaction? All of those things are in the smart contract. And then when you release the tokens from the smart contract, they just kind of know what to do. Mm, and then they wow. kind of like skate around and... And nobody can change the smart contract once it gets released into the... Well, no one who uh, doesn't have access to the smart contract. You know, the person mm-hmm. who, who made the contract... They adjust it if they decide because they can get in there and they have the access to it. Yeah, like, like, uh, like the Board Ape Yacht Club, the, the most historic, famous... Um, outside of the CryptoPunks uh, NFT project, once they had made like X millions of dollars, they went into the smart contract and turned off the fee they were earning every time that something was transactioned. Oh, wow. Uh, Good for them. Yeah. Yeah, they turned it off. When they started buying clubs in Miami with their (laughs) like... And tens of millions of dollars, right? Because you can build a royalty, and every time you know, if I traded one to you, and it's I don't know what they're at now, hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, then you can do, put like a ten percent royalty that goes back to the creators. And if you have ten thousand NFTs out there constantly get interacting at hundreds of thousands of dollars, like yeah, that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and they're earning Ethereum, which tends to go up in price. Yeah, you know? so their company well. balance sheets are just swelling. Wow! 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 So let's, talk about, let's talk about NFTs too, because I think, you know, maybe you're just uh, new to the game, starting to hear about this NFT craze. And I think, you know, the, the initial public release of what NFTs are is like art, artwork, right? Like, and I think people are tying artwork with NFTs, which is a big part of the game right now. But let's talk about different use cases for NFTs outside of art. 
Yeah. So literally everything. Because like I said, right? So a fungible transaction is when we're sitting around a table passing around dollars, pesos, and Canadian dollars, right? I don't know about you guys, but I don't do much of that. Like <laughs> most of my transactions are non-fungible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everything else is a non-fungible transaction that in the future, you'll probably interact with an NFT. You know, like if you have a ticket to a concert, they're not all equally interchangeable. So you're probably not going to buy a ticket from a, a ticket site uh, because there's there's inefficiencies in it that we can remove with NFTs. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, 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 for example, you know, if you're buying from this, like StubHub and these secondary marketplaces, they have bots that are buying out the venue and then selling you tickets at an inflated rate. You know, it's like there's there's inefficiencies in the current system. So with NFTs going to tickets, like tickets coming to NFTs, the event producer could simply write a smart contract. Hey, these many things are going to be inside of here, deploy it to the blockchain. And there would be transparent transactions of tickets going to everyone. And those tickets could be redeemed at a door super easily. Um, Yeah, Yeah. with no secondary market and the, the producer getting all of the revenue instead of this, you know, bot-driven, you know, profit, what, malarkey. Yeah. Taking advantage um, of, a, of, a, of a little thing that they can take advantage of. It's really quite fascinating. I love that. Right. Talk about the, uh, talk about the, that's a great use case example. I love it. And it is literally with everything, like anything that is interchanged. There's a lot of examples that we could probably share, but I love that one. Talk about the, you talked about scarcity earlier. I think that's a big piece to this entire thing. Talk about the importance of creating scarcity within this kind of blockchain ecosystem. Yeah, I mean, like if, if you look at uh, what we've considered valuable in the past, it was just the scarce resource of gold. So, like, there's it's obvious that humans respect scarcity. Um, I think it's part of like our social signaling, right? I have this and you don't. Like, I see behind you a buccaneer's helmet. It's like, I have this, I don't have that. That's cool. There's probably not a lot of this. I could sell it to an NFT. Can I redeem it for the real one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be cool. We should do that. Yes. For everybody listens to the podcast, we should make one for that. That'd be fun. <laughs> We're selling the helmet. Yes. I'll have this thing on OpenSea in no time whatsoever. <laughs> it's going to oh, happen. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, like scarcity we know is important. Um, it's just that it's never existed in the digital space. Like whenever something gets digitized, like with Jarvis, it would be copy-pasted. Right. So like that's that's how it works in the digital space. And it allows for amazing things to happen. Like we need that, you know, we can move so much faster because of open source coding. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't have to build all of the blocks to the company I'm building because of technology. I can go and grab them from places and slap them together and I can innovate quicker. And yeah. now we as humans are innovating faster and faster and faster. We're just adopting things like we're going exponential, you oh, know? Oh, man. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, what do you mean? Like, like this, what, this like age of abundance thing, dude. Yeah, like in five, 10 years, like what do you think what the world's going to be like? What's, what's going to happen? <sighs> it's it's going to be a different ones. world. Yeah. It's going to be a different world. Let's put it like this, okay? I mean, like Texas and Arizona are like really close to self-driving cars. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're, they're going to allow these things to happen, I think, before any other state. 
Mm-hmm. Um, spatial technology exists. Um, AI is, is smart enough to do stuff. We're just kind of a little bit afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but AI is also getting better all the time. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, it's going exponential as well. Um, so I think that you live in a world in, you know, 2030 where you're self-driving Tesla, the AI can recognize it as a unique car and the car has a unique identity and the unique identity is scarce, right? It's tracked on blockchain. We know this is card number X, Y, Z, you know, one, two, three. Um, so now that car could have its own crypto wallet. Okay. Follow me here. Yeah. So now the car, the car has a wallet. The car is also driving around in the spatial web, collecting data. And that data, the car could collect as data tokens and it could sell those data tokens. Um, data, I think one of the rights we'll claim in the digital world is rights to the value of our own data. Mm. Like we're running around creating value for not nefarious actors, but for, for actors who are taking... Um, you know, advantage of the fact that we can't claim that value for ourselves. Mm. And and blockchain changes that because we can create our data as a scarce asset, something that we own and we can sell it. And we're rewarded for it, right? Instead of, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation we get into, but like, you know, how does Facebook make money? It's free for everybody, right? Because we are the commodity like they're selling to us. And it's because of all the data that we just give them for free. They just take it. And it's because there's not, there's really no way to protect ourselves. Blockchain actually gives us that ability to own our own data. Right. Yeah. Mm. And, and to transact it on a global market, mm. like to sell it. I, I, I like uh, once we capture data and give it like the value of data to the people, once that is a human right, you're going to live in a world with UBI. Like everyone gets universal basic income. Uh-huh. Everyone's just going to get their data dividend. Like everyone's just going to kind of get paid. So so all of these things are converging in this moment of like the the age of abundance, right? And so Mm -hmm. it's fascinating to think about, and and this is a good question for anybody listening to this to just reflect on, like, what would my life be like if I didn't ever have to worry about anything ever? Like everything that I needed was provided for me. And it's like we talked about early, like the only thing left to do is to find presence, to find being, to really connect with the people that you love and connect with God or the thing that is greater than yourself. It literally, we've create, created this technology and we already have the technology of abundance, but it becomes this spiritual development issue, right? And the people that won't accept abundance and they will kind of, I just have this vision of people that are so in like so scared of what that could mean that they need something to hold on to, something to do that it will literally destroy them. And it's why right now the spiritual journey is really about letting go of this old story and this old construct of needing to be something and needing to have something and accumulating from this place of scarcity. Because what are you accumulating for really? Like why would you want millions of dollars in your bank account? Because of some distant future that you want to be prepared for. So you're kind of protecting yourself. But what if all of that stuff was just boom, gone, like taken care of? Like you don't have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. Like everything's just taken care of. It's right there for you. What are we going to do as a human human race? Like that's the question that would come up. It's like, well, what else is there to do? Why are we here? To connect with God. And that's joy. That's play. That's experience. That's connection. That's being out in nature. That's creating community and really thriving and flourishing. And I think a lot of people that don't even know what I'm talking about there will think about like, what would life be like without a, a TV or like a, being so distracted or not? You know, it's like, holy shit. 
it's it's a really quite a profound thing to even wrap your head around. Yeah, 100%. What you said about like letting go of that scarcity, that that is what I think is like the main barrier. Because for the longest time, we've had this trauma in the culture where it's like most people believe that like more than half the population is nefarious, right? I mean... Mm. And I think it came from like a time where it's like, sure, you had to worry about the people over the hill who were going to come and, you know, hit you in the head and take your stuff. Right. Um, we like still live with that generational trauma. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now like we as a species are really connected. I mean, COVID-19 was a, was a gift in the sense that it was the first global event. Like it was the first thing we all endured together. Not even the world wars were global events. There were countries that just didn't participate. But since there's like the brand name big, com- you know, companies, countries, you know, the, the brand oh, the name countries. Since there's that, we just called it World War One and World War Two. You know, like COVID nineteen was the first global thing. We we all experienced it together. We were all on the internet together. We can all appreciate our fellow man just a little bit better after this experience. Um, there is still, I, I think, a problem like in the U.S. of like the two party system, where you're either good or bad, and there's not a lot of acceptance for the fact that the fastest growing. Um, you know, sector in America is independence and people who don't identify with either of these parties yelling at one another. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like what, what, what we need to accept is that we're all kind of growing out of this, you know, this pubescent stage is what I think of it as. Um, and I think it's time to accept that this is like the age of abundance. Mm. Now, like there, there is like that spiritual question of, does everyone just become a couch potato or do we, we become better people? Um, my guy, Andrew Yang, I'll just plug him. He, he, he's the math guy, right? He goes and pulls the numbers and the facts on these things. And the fact of the matter is, is that in UBI pilots that they've ran, only 3% of the population quit working. Like only 3% of the people quit working. And that demographic was largely made up of mothers and teenagers who were going to work. (laughs) Like people started going to school and taking care of their kids. And like, I want those things to happen. Mm -hmm. I think that part of the problem with our culture right now, like you, you look back at like the 1950s, it was easy for... Um, you know, a family to make a living from a single income. You have a lot of two parent families and it's just the psychological facts that like kids grow up better when they have at least one or more than one parent, you know, like kids who grow up in poly families, they have like nine parents, like good for those guys. Yeah, they're doing the best. <laughs> <laughs> doing great. But we need at least two parents. Mm-hmm. And like in the US now, like divorce rates are at an all time high and you know, there's so many kids that are broken, growing up in broken households. Mm. It's like it, me, like I'm tired of watching the numbers that we watch from like a political standpoint, you know, like we're, we're really going to talk about the debt limit, even though we're the only country that monitors our debt limit. Yeah, like who's <laughs> going to hold us accountable for that? 
it doesn't matter. Like such a but joke. we just yell at each other for it. And we go, uh, oh, they're horrible people, like because of the divisiveness of the two parties, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And like when you really like when I've really slowed down, like it's been such a gift um this whole last year and a half because all of these things that have been running our world, all these really huge collective psychic stories. Like we talked about money early in the show, like how it's really just a belief structure. Like the only reason money works is because I believe that a dollar is going to get me the same thing and we can trade dollars because you have the same belief that this dollar's value is the same thing. And so all of it is a psychic experience. Like the only reason the government exists is because we all believe in it, right? We believe that these things and we give them power. The people actually through the belief structure, give this thing, the power, even the borders of our country, there's no actual wall. Even though some people might've wanted to make a wall, there's no wall between us and Canada. The only thing is in this imaginary boundary that we've created and it's crazy how solidified it is. Right. And to really wind the lens out of how all of it is connected, right? The corrupt political system that we've created, the two party system, like you know, divide and conquer. And then you, you think about, you know, just the education system. And I don't know about you, but I find it fascinating that everybody that is in our society now has been through the education system, right? It's, and then you still look back at it and you think it's something that we need to keep going on. Like, I don't know about you, but I didn't learn shit from school, like from, from grade school. Like it's, it's ridiculous. And so to not even look at, like, I've learned so much more by just getting out in the world and experiencing life And, you know, I think one thing that I think about a lot is what are the two most important things that you need to know as a functioning adult in the society and reality that we've created? It's financial literacy and emotional intelligence. And they don't teach either of those things in school. And then all of a sudden you're done with school, they throw you out into the world. And it's just becoming so obvious that all of it's connected Our you know, health and pharmacology and uh, the big pharma and all of this and the, you know, how we feed our population all of it's becoming so obvious that things need to change. And it's really about bringing our, ourselves back into sovereignty and taking our power back. And I think blockchain uh, technology actually is a huge gift to our planet because it actually, for the first time, gives us this almost a safety net where we don't have to go through these cycles of like, okay, we tried this whole thing. It got corrupt and it's collapsing. It's like, and you look back over the history of modern humans, it's like you can track, track back actually these like 80 year cycles where this like continues to happen and for the first time we have this technology, it's like, oh, it's this, it's this golden parachute of like, we no longer have to go through the enduring crash. Yeah, there's going to be some growing pains through this whole shift, but it's like, how quick can we let go of that old story? Because it's no longer serving us individually and collectively. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what it's about. I, yeah. Um, you're, you're speaking to things like government. You're speaking to things about, you know, what do we claim as like, fair and right i mean it's it's wild on on the topic of 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 governance uh one of the things that i don't think people realize blockchain is as as a solution is it is also a governance protocol um like if if you've ever participated in a dao um d-a-o um ever looked at these dao things these dao things are blockchain organizations where the participants any participant can make a proposal. And since blockchain voting is so efficient, all of the people who also are associated with that community, they can just vote yes or no. And you can hold like elections really transparently, which maybe we should just adopt that. That's a good one to adopt. Um, (laughs) So easy. So easy. Why don't we, right? Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, I mean, so like we can can fix this. 
really, I think we're like, we're talking about like this problem of like centralization to decentralization, you know? Um, we're talking about how like money is just a technology and we should use the best technology available to us. Before the best technology was the cave wall where we wrote with our chalk and said who owned what. Mm-hmm. And then we upgraded to, you know, like like the type of money where you take the gold and you dump it in the bucket and you issue the currencies off of it. Um, right now we have the type of money where like really the U.S. is like the global reserve currency. So this means that uh, people issue debt to the U.S., which we, we we use bonds for this mechanism. You know, they just put U.S. debt on their balance sheet. We give them U.S. bonds. We pay them interest payments. Um, and it makes their currency legitimate because like instead of putting gold inside of a bucket, they can just put U.S. debt inside of a bucket and issue their currency off the top of it, right? Um, it's, it's like a debt-based system is how centralized systems work. Uh, which is an issue. And then there's also kind of like this funny other factor um, about centralizing the governance around this money. And that's actually like, this might just be like too left field, um, but it's actually the petrodollar. Um, you know, the US has had like this weird presence for seemingly no reason um, for a long time in the Middle East. But what we do is we just keep things kind of stirred up and then we kind of keep things together. And in turn, we provide stability to the Middle East. And in turn, they can only sell their oil in dollars. So that means that like Japan doesn't need euros. But if Japan wants to compete on a global scale, they need dollars because there's a lot of power in oil. Right? You just connected a a few dots for me there. (laughs) <laughs> I've been sitting around just thinking about these things for years now. Uh, Thank you, cryptocurrency. I know. It's, I mean, this is the cool thing. Like those that are listening, when you start going down this pathway, you're, you're going you're gonna to confront some deeper questions, not only in your own life, but collectively how the world's, you know, created. And it is, you know, it's a very fascinating thing that a lot of people are born into this reality and it's only natural. Like you have to it takes a lot of effort to break yourself out of what you're born into. Cause a lot of people think like, this is just the way it is. Like I have a car, I have a house, I walk outside, there's a street, there's a sidewalk. My feet really never touch, touch the earth. I can fly wherever I want in the world. It's like, yo, you got to widen the perspective and take a few breaths and realize this is all just created by people that came before us. Like we are the creators of reality. And if you keep giving your power to the experience that you were born into, I mean, you, there, there is a way to break yourself out and it's not easy. It's the, probably the most difficult, challenging, courageous journey that you'll ever go on. But when you start reflecting on those stories and looking at them and trying to get behind them and understanding which ones serve you, which ones don't, I mean, that's the journey we're on. It's a journey yeah. of going inward. And it's what the mystics have been saying for millennia, right? It's like, you got to go inward and start questioning your own stories and questioning, when you start questioning your own personal stories and what makes you and how you show up into your experience, but then you start questioning like collective stories, governmental stories, financial stories. And then you start realizing, oh, wow, there is a way better way to do things. Right. You know, if, if you look back like over um, just like the course of humanity, like whatever religion you're looking at, pretty much every religion says like two things as like main rules. And those rules are like, love God, love Allah, like love whatever it is and be a good steward. You know, like be a good steward is something that really resonated to me as I I grew up like super Christian. 
And like be a good steward was like the main thing I got out of it. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Like we we can assume like love, right? Like I'm a loving being. So by like my nature, I love God, God being divinity or us or whatever your, you know, your vernacular allows. And then the only other job left is be a good steward. And before, when all of these, these PowerPoints, all these points of centralization created like nooks and tucks and, you know, wrinkles and folds in the fabric of society, now that decentralization, all of those are released. And these things had to happen for us to be good stewards. Because like, if we don't change the status quo and quickly, we are not going to be like living on a planet that's fun to live on. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there's so many problems that are just asinine that they exist. And it's like, we have to change how we track score so that we can change the incentives so that we can be good stewards so that we can fulfill our spiritual calling on earth. Right. Like that's what preaching blockchain is to me. It's like, mm. I'm just the disciple preach, of this preach, thing. Brother. You know? <laughs> God damn. Hot damn, man. Oh, beautiful. Well done. Oh, man, we could keep going for a long time. I have a lot of follow-up questions about spirituality. What do you think are, are this will be kind of the final question before we wrap it up. And then um, really excited for you inner circle members. We're going to be able to get some uh, extended episodes. Mike is actually going to talk about his three-bag thesis and how to really deploy your capital. If you're just getting into the crypto space, you're not going to want to miss that. But you said at the end there, to, to fulfill our spiritual journey here on earth, what is that to you? What do you think our spiritual realization is? I, I feel like we're supposed to become spiritual beings as a human race. You know, like the first thing we solved was food and we started feeding everyone. And it's just Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Then we you know, started taking care of everyone's physical needs. And now we're to the point where if we don't move out of the physical and we don't grow as spiritual beings, if we don't ascend, we are going to kill our planet. Like mm-hmm. we are going to run ourselves amok with stuff because it's what we've been doing for you know centuries now is just making more stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, now like our spiritual calling on earth is to realign the incentives be okay with doing less. I mean, I, I'm definitely a minimalist. I have mm-hmm. like, you know, my 27 things that I put in my one bag that I have all of my things in. Like, you know, it's it's this, man. Like yeah. on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once you have your physical things taken care of, then you kind of get into like your joys and your pleasures and then you ascend. And that's what the human race is doing right now. And if we adopt these technologies, I mean, we, we adopt them, we at least have the tools to make this available to everybody mm-hmm. because technology is like that in its nature. It's digitized so it can go anywhere. We can get internet. And you know, soon the internet will be everywhere on earth. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have our boy Elon Musk to thank for this, right? Starlink, whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. So yeah. we can give everyone everything they need um, we need to make sure that the incentives are so that um, you know people are rewarded for taking care of their neighbor, for taking care of their planet, 
And blockchain is just a technology where you can create scarcity. And when you can create scarcity, you can create incentives around that scarcity. Mm-hmm. You know, like before people were, you know, issuing currencies and it's largely based on like it's backed by oil and debt. Like that's what it's backed by. That's what that makes me feel confident. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> <laughs> and there's one controller that can print as much as you want. Oh. Um, crazy. And and now like there's projects that the currencies they're issuing are backed by carbon offsets. Wow. Like the currencies are backed by cleaning up the planet. And these tokens, man, like I, I don't mean to just flex, but like I'm up. Like I'm making money doing this, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm receiving an incentive to buy carbon credits off the market. Yeah. Like you know, you can just change the incentives with blockchain. Absolutely, I think the incentive structure—that's like a whole other podcast. Because I think that is the single misdirection of humanity that we need to shift. Is is the incentive? Like, why are we doing things? And it's such a simple thing to say, but it has so much depth and meaning behind it because literally everything is based on how how we create incentive and so if we're all working for money because we need money to interact then obviously you know i don't think it's like evil corporations i mean they they have to keep the shareholders best interest in mind and the fiduciary responsibility of the company is to make more money for the shareholders so it's like built into the very fabric of our culture and society is this incentive structure of needing to make more money and the bottom line and so that's why it, it's not these like evil people. I mean, maybe there are evil people. That's a whole different conversation. But like, as far as the incentive structure for the corporations to shareholders, we are the shareholders owning it. So it's like this cycle of like, of course, we're just headed towards the end. And I think this really, it's really good to point out that we can't save the planet by creating more, like trying to solve and create solutions with the things that have got us here, right? It's about consuming less. Like talk about scarcity. There is a limited amount of resource. And so it's not about, hey, how can I keep consuming more and figure out different technologies to make it so I can keep that lifestyle up here? No, everybody needs to actually start consuming less. And in order to consume left, you have to consume left. You have to reflect on why am I consuming in the first place? And a lot of times you're probably consuming because you're trying to fill a void within your heart of something lacking. And it's because of this, society and this culture, maybe your personal experience, maybe some influence you had when you were younger that told you you weren't good enough, that told you you needed to work hard, that you needed a degree, that you needed a good job, that you needed to make a lot of money, or you just weren't going to find happiness, you weren't going to be successful. So really reflecting on what does make me happy? What do I want my life to look like? Do I need all of this shit? Or am I doing it for a reason to make me feel more important? And that is all a spiritual journey. And that's what we talk about. It's not this like going and finding God and and going to a religion. It's about questioning your own stories and finding that love from within yourself so that, and this is a bigger kind of motif to the whole destroying the planet thing, right? You know, I think it's fascinating that, and, and one of my teachers told me this, the, the human body is the symbol for planet earth. It is our connection to planet earth. And so if we are dissociated from our bodies and we don't treat our bodies like the temple and love it in the way that we do, how do we expect ourselves to love mother nature? And so it's fascinating to see all these people like really social activists trying to like, we need to save the planet. We need to save the planet. And there's nothing you can do outside of yourself to save the planet. Because if you're treating your own body like shit and you're eating like shit and you don't feel good in your body and you're dissociated, then how are you going to show up and love the planet? And so when I look at people, it's like, who's taking care of their body? 
who's showing up and having the discipline to, to get proper sleep, to get enough sunlight, to move their body, to eat right. And then you start feeling good in your physical body. I know in my experience, and I see it all over the place, I actually feel way more connected to mother nature, connected to the food that I eat, the nutrition that comes in. And so all of these things that we're talking about is really coming back to yourself and how do you connect with that, that part of yourself that is connected to everything, right? And it's like all of these things, it's such a beautiful time to be alive because all of the mystical teachings for, from millennia ago and all the science and the new realizations and then all this new technology, all of it's converging into this really beautiful moment to be human where we have an opportunity to truly ascend. And it's all coming to this pinnacle. And all we have to do is let go, surrender, and enjoy the experience. Thank you, ladies ah, and gentlemen. It's a brilliant place to end it. <laughs> oh, Micah, Micah, Micah. Thank you so much, brother. Um, really appreciate you coming on. Um, you really blew my mind a few times. I hope you guys that listen to that might need to go back and listen to it again. And for <laughs> you premium members, if you want to be a part of the inner community around quantum coffee, uh, we are starting a premium membership, uh, through circle. There's a link in the show notes. There's already a bunch of people joining and we're going to give you access to extended episodes like Micah here. He's going to share his three bag thesis on how to deploy your capital in the crypto space and get the most out of it. It's actually kind of like this flywheel thing where it's really fun and actually you can make a ton of money. You're not going to want to miss that. So if you want access to that, there's a link in the show notes at $7 a month. We'd love to have you uh, a part of the inner circle there. Um, and I think that's it. Um, Micah, where can people find you? Maybe any final words? Um, yeah. So uh, this year I, I founded a company and that company is called Mage. Um, you can find us at mage.io. The A is the number four. Nice. So Creative. That IO is us. Um, yeah, check it out. Um, I, I'm a man about town. I'm helping people out in the metaverse, NFTs um, primarily. And then we're helping out some folks with uh, portfolio stuff. Um, right now, my, my main focus is NFTs. I do have a couple of really brilliant drops. Um, I think coming up. So yeah, come and join the community. Uh, if you go to Mage, you can slide into my Discord. From my Discord, I can get you everywhere that you would want to go. Oh, I love it. How about this? How about if you join the inner community of Quantum Coffee, we're going to have special links and access points to some of these drops that Mike has been working on. Um, and if you enjoy this podcast uh, and you want to say a few nice words, the best way to support this podcast is to leave a five-star review, say a few nice things. And I would, if I was you, go back and re-listen to this podcast. I know I'm going to because it was really, really, really powerful. Uh, thank you so much, Micah. And if there's anybody that you think would benefit from this, you know, maybe getting into the NFT space, the crypto space, just trying to really wrap their mind around the bigger picture. And, you know, I kind of think we get granular with this stuff of like trying to make sense of what crypto is. It's, it's really about trying to understand the entire system of reality right. really and being able to widen out. Um, so definitely if you think anybody might benefit from this, share it with them. Um, and yeah, I'll see you guys on the inner circle. Thank you so much, Micah. Thanks dude. See you guys around.